You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So we are in our series on identity, which seems incredibly appropriate given the last, I don't know, five, six years that has been a bit of a hot button topic, right? That's something that people are really working through. What is my identity and how we have sought so many different ways to try to identify ourselves, whether it is through our, our politics, through our tribes, our friendships, through our political identity, through our cultural identity. That is something that obviously you guys have been working through and I know is always on the forefront of our minds, and this week we are moving through John chapter 8. Now, last week you spoke about the woman at the well, and this, right? Am I correct? I thought so. Okay, oh, I had a moment there. I was like, wait a minute, I watched the wrong sermon? Uh, and on the surface, this is going to seem like a text that's going to hit the same themes, but there's something unique here that I want to share with you. So let's get into the text. John chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So, what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let he, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up. And said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we gather together to sing songs and praise of you, to hear your word proclaimed, to share in communion together today. Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts, that we would receive your word, hear the word of forgiveness and the word of life that you proclaim in this, in this text. Lord, open our hearts to see who you call us to be. Lord, open our hearts to hear where our identity comes from. And, and we pray this, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, if you don't want to, if you don't mind, I want to, I was, I was thinking about this this text a lot as I moved through it. And there was a, an event in 2013 that really popped into my mind as I was reading this. So I want to pull up, if you don't mind, there's a tweet uh, that I'd love to throw up on the screen. Do you have it there? Okay. Now, it's, it's a little small. I'm going to read to you. This is from a woman named Justine Sacco. I don't know if anybody knows this. This is a little, it's, it's, it's a while ago, 2013. Some of y'all were still probably in what, elementary school when this happened? Great. Ah. <laughs> says, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. Ooh, that's bad, right? Now, here's, here's the story behind this tweet. Justine Stacco was a PR representative for a, a large firm, and she was actually on her small Twitter account that had about 170 followers. 
And she loved to have dry, sarcastic humor. For her, this was a bit of a satire. And she'd tweet out to her friends and maybe get like one or two likes on her tweets, which is probably more than I get on mine. And uh, she wouldn't think about it. She'd dry out her, she'd try out her humor, and some of it would land, and some of it wouldn't, right? And she shot this tweet out thinking, mm, I'm so clever, I'm so funny, and then hopped on a plane to go on a trip to South Africa, put it on airplane mode over a seven, eight-hour flight, and then when she landed and turned on her phone, her phone blew up because somebody that was in her friends list grabbed this tweet, shared it, and it spread like wildfire. From the moment that she got on the plane before she sent that tweet, between that time and when she landed, she had become viral. She lost her job. Like on the flight, she landed to find out she had lost her job and had become one of the most hated people. One of the most hated people online that you could find was receiving death threats through her DMs. That is a terrible joke, but I cannot imagine the experience that that woman was going through. And some would say absolutely justified. I mean, what an insensitive tweet, right? But man, trending number one on Twitter. Can you imagine? From 170 followers. Insane for that. Now, I was thinking about that, and then as I was thinking about that, I I started thinking about another event that's a little more recent. Uh, Has anybody been following the Free Britney movement? Yeah. So I'm going to give away my age for some of you guys. Some of you are going to say, oh, you're still young. Some of you say, oh, my gosh, you're old. So I remember when Britney shaved her head. I do. Actually, here's the photo. 2007, Britney shaved her head. Now, here's a little backstory in this. Obviously, he was going through a serious set of issues, drug problems, lost custody of her kids. Um, I remember I followed the story probably more closely than I should have because Britney Spears was born in Macomb, Mississippi, which is the same town my mom was born in. Went to the same high school that my mom did. She lived 30 miles from where I grew up in Hammond, Louisiana, a little place called Kentwood. And when I saw this, knowing what I do of where I'm from, I said, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) I did. I saw the photo of her coming out of the 7-Eleven bathroom with no shoes. I said, yep, that sounds about like Kentwood, Louisiana. And I remember how much the internet piled on. And then I really remember a young man, I won't pull the video, that uh, had the video Leave Britney Alone. Did anybody see that? No, that was a really huge, yeah. See, they're giving away their age too. (laughs) Aha. And that was a viral experience as well. And I remember just thinking, man, how do you get from being one of the biggest pop stars in the world to, to this? I can't imagine going through that moment either. But man, it made for some funny memes at the time, right? Our text today, and let's go ahead and pull that photo off. Our text today is about really someone's absolute worst moment in their lives. So a little background to the text. Jesus is trying to teach in the temple, and a woman that it says has been caught in adultery has been dragged, dragged into where Jesus is teaching. It would be like... Jesus teaching at a church, and somebody came from the outside dragging someone in, saying, this woman, we have just caught her in adultery. So not not like, hey, we know this is going on. It says, we have caught her in adultery. She's been dragged into the temple after making one of her worst decisions. It's her worst moment. And they say, not only that, but our law says we need to stone her. We need to drag her outside the city. 
to the gates of the city and stone her to death. If you think about it, this is, this is her entire identity at the moment, right? And, and, and it's one of those identities that sadly has, has lasted. If you look at a lot of subheadings in this text, it doesn't say Jesus teaching in the temple. It doesn't say Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes. It says Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. Or Jesus and the adulterous woman. For many of us, this is her, her entire identity. Now, if you've read the text and you listened last week, if you weren't here last week, there was a woman at the well who also had an identity wrapped up in, in what was kind of a scandalous set of behaviors. And it would seem on the surface, oh, well, we're going to kind of get to the same place, right? But I, I think that this text is really unique because it establishes two essential needs for us to know what our identity really is, especially our identity as followers of Jesus, our identity as Christians, or maybe you could say our identity in Christ. And I think the first essential need that this text reveals to us is that you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. So let's pull up that passage one more time. If you would, get that passage for me. There it is. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman had been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now, on the surface, this seems pretty cut and dry. But here's some funny things about this. This woman's been dragged in there, but if you actually look at the law in Deuteronomy, and I'm not going to pull it up, it doesn't say that just the woman should be stoned. It says, if two people are caught in the act of adultery, the woman and the man who should be stoned are drug in there. Now, you notice the woman doesn't say anything. She doesn't argue. She doesn't say, hey, what about the guy that I was with? Right? What does she say at this moment? Nothing. Nothing at all. She has been dragged in there. Her life is on the line, and her response is to say absolutely nothing. She's quiet. She's afraid, sure, but she knows that there is no defense that she can offer up in this moment. She knows what the law is. She knows that she's been caught, and she knows what the punishment's going to be, and she is stuck been caught red-handed. She knows that according to the Mosaic Law, she is a sinner, and she is at the mercy of the people that drug her into this temple. She knows in this moment who she is. She is her worst moment. She is an adulterer. She is someone that is, is caught in her sin. But then there's, there's another group. Let's see the other passage. And they continue to ask him, and Jesus said... Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, you guys probably know this passage pretty well, right? Even if you haven't been in and around church, you hear people say, like, well, you know, cast the first stone. And it's this understanding of, hey, we're all sinners here. But there's more depth to this than you realize. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes that have drugged this woman in here, they have a game plan. They have a game plan. They want to catch Jesus in his sin. Jesus is caught in this place where they know no matter how he answers, they're going to expose him as a fraud. If Jesus says, okay, Mosaic Law says, stoner, drag her outside the city, 
Now, him saying that he could forgive sins is caught in a question. Now he's a hypocrite. But if he says, no, I know what the law of Moses says, don't stone her, now he's teaching directly against the Mosaic law. He's a blasphemer, and he himself is going to be stoned. They have purposely set a trap for him because they want to use this woman as bait to make sure they can point out what an awful person Jesus is. You need to know who you are. Now, the woman, she knows who she is. But here's the issue. The Pharisees and scribes, they don't. I think about the Free Britney movement now, right? And there's a lot of people say, yeah, man, this is awful. She's in a conservatorship. She's being absolutely abused by the people that are supposed to take care of her, right? She was having a mental health crisis over a decade ago and still paying the consequence of it. But I'll tell you what a lot of people forget when they talk about the Free Britney movement. The thing that I have to confess myself, I laughed when she shaved her head. I laughed when they took her kids away. I followed the gossip news. I laughed at the idea of a, a redneck hillbilly from my neck of the woods getting exposed for what they are. We live in a world that is so primed to accuse and condemn that we don't think twice about it. And we forget that often our accusations expose our very sins themselves. In the act of accusing other people, in the act of doing what the Pharisees and scribes do, we expose ourselves as sinners. And what we see, the difference between the woman and the Pharisees, is one knows that they're the sinner, and the other one thinks that they're in the right. In fact, Jesus knows what they're doing, and so he ignores them until they continue to harass him over and over and over, until he finally responds, and he responds brilliantly, listen, Whichever one of you, whichever one of you is spotless, whichever one of you hasn't done anything wrong, whichever one of you has kept the law the way you're asking her to, pick up the rocks. Go for it. They're exposed as sinners with that question and with that response. You need to know who you are. And the first thing you need to know about your identity is that you're a sinner just like the adulterous woman, just like the Pharisees and the scribes. We are sinners. In fact, that's, that's in a lot of ways foundational to understanding the gospel. When I say gospel, the good news that we have in Jesus, ain't no good news if there's not something bad, right? And the bad news is this, that we are sinners. I, I love the way... Uh, you know we're a Lutheran church. Does anybody know that? We kind of are anyway. We're associated with a bunch of Lutherans. And that's, that's an old denomination. We've been around for over 500 years, which I always joke means that we've had plenty of time to work out our kinks, okay? <laughs> but the guy that kicks off the reform, Martin Luther, I love it. He says it this way. Pull up the quote from Martin Luther. He says, the first function of Christ's office, in other words, his role, is to make us all sinners. It's hard language, but it's true. The first function of what Christ came to do is to make us sinners, expose us for what we are. And people respond to that differently, don't they? In fact, I, I think we see the Pharisees and scribes' response 
in this passage, if you'll pull it up, the next verse. But when they heard, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Yeah, maybe they're convicted, but I think the reality is it's a small area. They're in the synagogue. They're in the temple. Everybody knows each other. When somebody picks up that rock, there's going to be somebody else saying, like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I know you, Joe. I know you cheat on your taxes. You know? They didn't want to acknowledge it. Didn't want to be called out. Who wants to be called out as a sinner, right? But the woman caught in there, she's got nothing left to say. She's been exposed already. She knows what she is. And she's left alone with Jesus. I got one more quote from you because I think it's a beautiful way to put it. Um, this is a guy named Augustine of Hippo. Does anybody ever heard of Augustine? Some of you have, some of you have. Augustine is a really old, ancient, they call him a father of the church. A lot of the things that you think about theologically, man, you can find it written by him over 1,000 years ago, 800,000 years ago. And in this passage, he says, it says, the two were left alone, the miserable and the merciful. Latin is the miseria et misericordia. He was really poetic. He said, and they left the woman with her great sin in the keeping of him who was without sin. She's exposed. The others, they, they hide their faces, they hang their heads, and they walk away. And now this woman, in her sin, is just left with Jesus. Not knowing what's going to come next. Not knowing what she's going to experience. And that gets us to the other essential need that this text shows us. Yes, you need to know who you are, but you also need to experience who you can be. So Jesus stood up, see the passage, and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. No one stopped right there. She stood there in the presence of Jesus, wondering what's going to come next. And I think that often when we come to Jesus, we do the same thing, wondering what's going to come next, ready for the accusation, the other shoe to drop, the hammer to come down. That we bring our experience in the world, that, that we live in a world that's ready to accuse and cancel us for a tweet in 2013, <laughs> waiting for us to be condemned. And this woman is sitting in front of Jesus, waiting for the next thing. But instead, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, now on sin no more. Um... Little side note, I'll tell you a long story, just tell you a short one. When I was uh, in college, or when I first went to college, I had come out of a, a three year relationship, a high school. Can you imagine a high schooler dating somebody for three years? I did it. Man. But no, I went to college my freshman year um, as a bit of a golden child. I played music, kind of like what James did, helped lead the band, and went off for sacred music ministry. And I, I got to the school and, and broke up with my girlfriend. And I come from a small town. We have less than 5,000 people there. And a small graduating class. Uh, and then after I broke up with this girl, who was very sweet, I was 
I was selfish, and uh, I decided to make it for lost time. I didn't party in high school, so I really went for it. I really, really went for it. Like, to, to a degree that, that the word of how hard I was going was making it back to my little town of LaBelle from college. And I remember when I finally got to a point in my program where I was playing in a band, thinking I was going to make it, and I was flunking out of my classes, and everything kind of collapsed, and then I lost my scholarships. And I remember talking to a buddy of mine who was also playing in a band. I said, how are you making this work? How are you still in school? Because I was doing exactly what you're doing, and now I'm losing my scholarship. He says, buddy, I lost mine too. I was like, no! Why did I follow you? But I went back to town just terrified of what people were going to think of me. And I remember one moment I ran into a former youth leader, and how awkward it was was palatable. Like I could cut it with a knife because she was so awkward around me. I was like, that's it. She knows. She knows. And she is judging me. And we made like our little formal, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. And she was so ready to get out of the room with me that I just felt so guilty and ashamed and beat up. And I told a friend, I said, hey, I just ran into my old youth leader. He says, oh, man, she's having a real hard time. I said, yeah? He says, dude, her son is going just crazy at college right now. And they've really kind of lost control, and he's partying hard. And the whole time I realized that she was afraid that I was judging her, and I had heard about what she was going through. And so we sat there in this moment just trying to avoid talking about the fact that we we were sinners, and we were ready to be condemned. And I remember the relief I felt when I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, we're all just a bunch of sinners trying to make, make sure that nobody finds out that we're sinners. We're also ready to be condemned and accused that, that we struggle with, with hearing something, anything, anything other than that. But in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you get. You get something else. You get to experience what you can be. Yeah, you know that you're a sinner, but in Jesus, the accusations, they lose their power. They do. Rooted in Jesus, you have a God that knows exactly what you are. Knows what you are. And says, I love you anyway. In fact, I'll go so far as to say it this way. Here's my controversial statement for you for today. A lot of people say, God thinks you're good enough. And I'll say, no, he doesn't. I'm serious. Oh, here's the controversial one. God does not love you because you're good enough. But because he loves you through Jesus Christ, he makes you good enough. He knows exactly what you are. And you need to as well. But you need to experience what you have in and through Jesus Christ. If you don't know it, guys, there is freedom there. There's actual freedom. When Jesus says, go and from now on sin no more, that is not a command rooted in go be a good person. That is freedom. I know what you are and you don't have to be that anymore. Right? You're not an adulterer anymore. You're my child. I'm your thou. Right? You can go be free from sin because And then through Jesus Christ, you actually have freedom. That is the heart of the gospel. That at your worst, 
You're not defined by it. The heart of the gospel is, at your best, you couldn't earn it. The heart of the gospel is this, that even though, even though you were broken, even though you are a sinner, even though you are a mess, I know I am, I'm pretty sure you all are too, that there is freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. No condemnation. And if you don't think that's what it is, this is Jesus' own words. Pull it up. You all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But this is what he says right after that. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. When we're talking about our identity in Christ, this is your identity. Not condemned, not defined by your worst, not enslaved to what you once were, but set free and called to be what you know you can be.